Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello guys and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I am very excited to bring another guest. It is our second female guest and we have Sophie May who's with us today. So Sophie has been in the industry between training herself and training her clients as well for roughly between four and eight years now. Started off as a personal trainer in Australia. She is now completely online and taking workshops and mainly focusing on women's health and women's physiology. And the beauty of this and the reason why I wanted to bring on Sophie today is that what I love is when someone actually stands to something in the industry. You know, there's so many people who are just kind of coaching for the sake of coaching. And as great as that is, when people actually really stand for something, there's something that's really important. It moves the industry in that direction. This conversation needs to be had more conversation around females and males, especially those we were just discussing off air about their menstrual cycle and the impact that has on their health and well-being, especially on our health and fitness journey is super, super important. So I want to introduce you all to Sophie May. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Elliot, for having me on today. Really excited to have a chat about all things women's health. And I think for me as well, it's it's awesome to chat about this with male coaches. And, you know, it's easy to chat about it with female coaches because, you know, a lot of them do have the back knowledge and, and obviously themselves. But I personally really enjoy sort of discussing these things from a male perspective as well. I think it just brings a kind of different look on it all and yeah it's just really really nice to talk about it no absolutely and as we were just mentioning off that it's like you said there still seems to be a bit of a stigma around it and mm-hmm. you know especially when it comes to male talking about cycle we're just talking about how I don't think it's really possible to coach a female without having the discussion at some point right and it, no. it surprises me that there would be any coaches that do work with females that don't have that conversation. So I'm looking forward to diving in. But first of all, before we do dive in, I want the listeners to get to know a little bit more about you. So in about a five minute summary, give us your superhero origin story. Who is Sophie May? (laughs) All right. So I started off my fitness journey when I was about 14, I think. 
And it's actually what led me into, obviously, I know a lot of personal trainers have that kind of backstory, but for me, it was, you know, I was doing a group online from an influencer program, actually ended up getting into, you know, a really bad cycle with food, exercise, you know, the disordered eating side of things, disordered body image side and had really bad kind of, I wasn't never diagnosed with an eating disorder, but Mm -hmm. I would definitely say that there was that there. I actually lost my menstrual cycle for two years due to that as well. And that's kind of what led me down into the women's health side of things. And becoming a personal trainer as well. So for me, it was, you know, kind of trying to not get other women to fall into those restrictive eating disorder traps and, you know, the bad relationship with exercise and stuff like that. So that's where it kind of started. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of led me to delving deeper into the cycle and, you know, why we have them, why they're beneficial, because I definitely didn't understand that when I was young. And there's such a lack of education on, women's bodies for themselves like you know so many women that are in their 20s come to me and say wow can't believe how much I didn't know about my own body Uh and that's not their fault that's you know because there's no education starts when you're when you're a kid if you're not getting taught about this when you're a kid except for the fact oh you're gonna have a period for 40 years and then it's gonna stop Mm -hmm. uh that's what you get told and there's no kind of why like why are they good you know what do you do if it, it disappears or What do you do if you're in pain? You know, things like that. And I think for me, it's kind of trying to, it started off as becoming a personal trainer, but it's kind of evolved into me wanting to take away that kind of normality of having either no menstrual cycle or menstrual cycle abnormalities that people brush off as normal because someone else has them. And it's just trying to break down that sort of, what would you say, kind of like stigma of that, you know, periods are meant to be a burden on you every month and things like that. So Mm. more just about kind of working with it and appreciating it because, you know, I think people forget that without a menstrual cycle, human life wouldn't continue. So (laughs) I think it's a very powerful thing. That's a huge point to make there. And it's so overlooked as well. And Coming back to what you mentioned in your challenges with the eating disorder as well, I remember seeing one of your Instagram stories because of initially you wonder why someone's so involved in the space that they're in and then you realize that they they probably had a struggle in that area and that's why they're so passionate about it. And I think these are the best people to speak about it as well. So you're coming from a place of, like you said, losing it for, you said, two years. Did you lose it? Yeah, so I actually didn't have one for two years and at the time thought it was the best thing in the world. <laughs> you know, crazy, I was 16, yeah. didn't understand anything. My mom was on my back, you know, you know, you need to go to the doctor, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And, um, you know, people, and I think the worst thing as well is that people at school were like, people, oh my God, you're so lucky you don't have one. And no one understands the, you know, the extent of it, that people kind of, oh, you're so lucky you don't have a period, blah, blah, blah. And that kind of feeds into that, you know, that no one's worried about it and it's a good thing. So yeah, for me, it was a while. And I'm, to be honest, I'm lucky I, I got it back within that time frame because I know that some women struggle to get it back for five to even 10 years. That's crazy. And actually, what did the journey look like? And what was the, uh, the trigger for you to actually think, oh, actually, I probably need to do something about this now? So it's a very kind of, it's weird whenever I get asked about this time in my life because it always seems like a bit of a blur, like mm-hmm. a lot of it. Like it's almost like I don't remember what kind of got me out of, you know, I I was never admitted to hospital. I was very underweight, but you almost look fit even if you're underweight. So Uh I had a shredded six pack, but I I wasn't healthy. But people go, oh, wow, like you're really fit, blah, blah, blah. And they think that 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 equates healthy. Uh So for me, I didn't once think, oh, 
you know, I'm, I'm really underweight. I need to put on weight because in my head I wasn't. And in fact, I actually thought I needed to lose more weight. And when someone would comment and be like, oh, you know, I had other people's parents say to my mom, like, oh, don't you think Sophie's taken it a bit far? Like she, she looks ill. And my mom obviously was having those comments from other parents yeah. about her, her child. And I think that was something that affected my mom quite a lot. But for me, when whenever she'd tell me that someone had said that, it would almost fuel the fire. I'd be like, yeah. wow, someone someone thinks I'm skinny? Like, that that's amazing. You know, and I, I wouldn't understand. So it's, it's you're in your own head very, very badly. And I think that's why, and it's something that I'll maybe touch on later on, but as we saw Big Brother presenter, I think, or she was on Big Brother, she actually died from anorexia, I think it was last week. And there was a big thing about that and how lack of sort of awareness and sort of care for those people as well. And, you know, it's almost like no one gets the help until it's too late for that. So for me coming out of it, I kind of, I was in the stage where, you know, it was all about the the hip bones and the thigh gaps. And I was about 14 when Instagram was filled with that, you know, like girls that were super skinny with abs doing fitness stuff. And that was the time that I got into Instagram mm. and that was the trend. So, you know, it was the hip workouts and the cardio stuff. Women weren't lifting weights at that time, really. Well, no, not, yeah, not, not, it wasn't much. big. No one had the big bums and that's the trend now. Uh-huh. Whereas, you know... <laughs> As I was growing, as I was getting older, when I was sort of coming into 16, 17, 18, the trend changed and women wanted to actually build muscle and weight train. And and that was evolving as I was kind of going through my teenage years, which was pretty interesting. Because it used to be girls want to be as skinny as possible, right? And then it became like lean and curvy. And that was, yeah, it's pretty good that you you noted that because that would have been the evolution of which you were in at the time is, you know, desiring that skinny physique that most women were striving for back five, 10 years ago, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I would say back in like 2014 ish, it Mm. was when, you know, there was like massive personal trainers who were really slim, like all over Instagram. And there was all those booty guys, like not booty guys, but like, you know, little four week programs to get you, you know, as lean as you can and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I think the fitness industry still has work to do, but I think the trend of, of everything is getting better. So now women are, I don't think it's perfect because there are still some problems, but I do think that women are portrayed to have sort of be strong and a bit, have a bit more muscle on them, which is driving women to actually weight train and want to be strong instead of wanting to be as skinny as they can with, with their bones sticking out. So yeah. And I think for me, that was kind of, it wasn't kind of a click where I was like, wow, I'm really skinny. I need to weight train. It was more, I actually was falling into the trend. So I still didn't, you know, I wasn't kind of, oh, wow, I need to put on weight. It was more kind of, oh, this person has said that I can lose fat as long as I count my calories and I can eat whatever I want in them. Mm. And that was when the flexible dieting started coming in. And I was about 16, I think. And I was like, wow, I was like, I can actually eat sugar and stuff in my calories and I can still get to my goals. And this was the start of flexible dieting. And that's when I started getting into that side of things. And then from there, it was the flexible dieting and the weight training instead of the low calorie meal plans and the HIIT workouts from your house. So it was it was almost like a, a, tr- a going with the trend rather than me being like, oh shit, I need to do something about it. And I think I started gaining weight. I did fall into some binge eating from the restrictive dieting, which did make me gain weight. Uh-huh. But that's also with with the extra body fat, I did end up getting my period back, I think 
two years later because I'd had more fat on my body and I was eating a lot more mm-hmm. and I wasn't smashing myself with loads of cardio because I was kind of evolving with that trend of then it was like, oh, if, you, if you're exercising too much, you can actually store fat. So there was so many like, you know, things intertwining with each other that I think kind of led me to actually coming out of it without sort of someone else having to intervene, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you've made a lot of good points on where the industry has evolved as well. And that was kind of what I was touching on saying that when someone stands for somewhat something and then they actually really try to push the industry in that direction it eventually comes like you said there's a lot of work to do it takes time Mm -hmm. but yeah if you flash back to like when i started personal training it was like in 2011 or 2012 and yeah there was very very little females in the weight training area right and that Mm -hmm. they weren't really doing it it was all the cardio machines and everything along those lines but then yeah as my career progressed in that we took more females into the weight area because of you know you were starting to understand that then it became more normal and more normal so you're right in saying that you know, that was the goal for most people. And now when people reach out to us, I rarely get someone saying, you know, on their application forms, I want to lose weight and be skinny. It's like, I want to be toned, right? And, and yeah. like, that's that's the word that's kind of taken over. But it's a nice way of saying, hey, I want to have a little bit of muscle on my frame. I want to have some shape to my physique as well. I have rarely people want to be skinny now, right? No one really wants to be referred to as that. Whereas, yeah, it was very prevalent back in the day as well. So coming off the back of that, I guess then your main driver towards that was like, okay, I lost my period for two years back in the day. And then you probably mm-hmm. had a lot of girls coming to you and getting to a point in which they were, um, you know, reproaching the back end of their fat loss phase maybe, and then not being too concerned about their menstrual cycle, not even really understanding their bodies. Is that probably where the passion got, you know, even more ignited from? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I definitely always spoke about having hypothalamic amenorrhea, even when I, when I wasn't super in in I guess knowledgeable in the women's health area mm-hmm. like I, I knew that it was bad to not have a period and I knew what hypothalamic amenorrhea is and why it happens and how to you know sort of treat it but I wasn't super far into the women's health you know now it's kind of a big broad so like even the menopause side and PCOS and loads of stuff whereas back then it was kind of more that and that's kind of where it evolved from it was like okay well why is it bad to lose your period or, you know, what's the benefits of it? And I started reading books and then I was like, wow, like there's actually so much more to it. And I guess, yeah, that's just how it kind of evolved from. And I I think for me, because I'd, you know, another big thing was the fact that when I had hypothalamic amenorrhea, I went to the doctors and the only option I got given was the pill. I didn't want to take the pill. No. And I, I basically had no help from, from them. And that led me to actually digging deeper myself because I was like, well, I don't want this and there must be another way. And yeah, that's kind of another big thing that led me to dig deeper into, I think digging deeper into the pill and then also off the back of that, then obviously deeper into the menstrual cycle as well. That's huge. And it's so not unusual in the bad way. Like anytime that someone has a hormonal issue and they go to their doctor and they're told they're within range or they've only got this option for medication or even on the mental health side things, okay, yeah, take this SSRI instead of actually deal with the root cause of the problem. So in a way, I know I know personally I have a similar story in the sense that, you know, that dark time and that challenging time actually became a blessing because it, it made me, like you did, educate yourself on that area and then, you know, yeah. bring that into other people as well. So no, that's really interesting. I think you've already, you've only been speaking for about eight or nine minutes, but you've got the quote of the uh, podcast with the, it's kind of important for human life, which I think is so like critical. And it's not even something I would have even thought of ahead of this podcast is that it's, yeah. it's essential, right? Like, so. yeah. And another thing as well is, is for me, you know, I've never wanted to 
I don't want to, sometimes I have to be like, I'm not anti pill, but for me, I look at my side of things as I've looked deep into that side of things and made my choice. But for me, it's also about, we have them for a reason. They're, they're not just for having, obviously, you know, without, like I said before, without a menstrual cycle or women without menstrual cycles, there would be no continuation of life. Mm. But it's not just for, I think a lot of women are still under the impression that, well, not just women, but anyone is under the impression that menstrual cycles are just for having a baby when it's, it's obviously that's a big thing, but it's, it's way past that as well. It's about long-term health. It's natural hormones that are beneficial for your body. And for me, you know, when I thought of it like that, I was like, wow, like this is actually a good thing, not something to kind of just push to the side and ignore until I'm, you know, 20 years down the line and I've got issues. No, it's a really so good perspective was- to look at it. And like you said, it's like, it's not just about human life because of, it's a good sign. It's a good health marker as well, right? Like you don't find many healthy people who have lost their cycle, right? And it's, it's similar for anything in terms of just like, you know, you don't find many healthy people who are heavily overweight, right? It's a good indicator that things are going on well internally and externally as well. So no, very good point you make. And I wonder if we'll get onto the pill and that's how things, I didn't know if we were going to touch on that, but yeah, hopefully we'll get an opportunity. To I'm happy to touch on that. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. All right. I'll make sure we come back to that. So as always, we're going to dip into a training question nutrition question and a mindset question but Mm -hmm. all related um, to females health more so than anything so I want to start by asking how does a female approach their training in the lead up to their cycle during Mm -hmm. and after as well are there any changes that need to be made and um, how do we make the most of that like that phase in which they yeah they go through their menstrual cycle yeah so there's sort of two main phases of the cycle but we can break it down to four so you've got menstruation which is your period which lasts for around five days which is also the first half of the follicular phase we then move into ovulation which is a very short 24-hour thing and then we move into the second half which is the luteal phase Mm -hmm. so obviously that's just a really brief explanation so that I can obviously chat so that you can understand where the phases are but you know you've got day one which is obviously you know day one of the cycle is also day one of your period so around here your hormones are a bit lower we've we've had a little bit of a drop in you know even some neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine at the same time interesting most people now before i delve in i want to make sure that people understand that everyone is different so this is not blanket like oh Mm -hmm. you have to do this it's more kind of guidelines on if you feel like this it's okay to reduce your training so if if someone's feeling you know pretty shit on the first couple days of their period they can reduce their training by maybe reducing the volume Mm -hmm. reducing their weights and just focusing on some slower movements maybe even just focusing on some some slower exercise in general things like yoga and walking for a couple of days it's not going to harm to just take a break for a couple of days Mm What I would say, though, is that if someone can't do anything, like even go for a walk, then we'd want to dig deeper into why they're feeling so shit. It's understandable that someone's maybe not going to be able to walk in the gym and do a PB. But if you can't even sort of like go for a walk without sort of struggling or being in pain or anything like that, then we definitely want to dig deeper into why that is, because there could be an underlying problem there. So I would say the main takeaway for that is kind of just... See how you feel, but if you do feel kind of shitty and you can't go to the gym and do a massive session, opt for maybe a lower intensity exercise, something that suits you, whether it's, you know, 
just a walk or a cycle or yoga or something. Um, and if you can go to the gym and you're feeling great, then then do it. Don't sort of be like, oh, I should be feeling crap. Maybe I'll just, you know, not go. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a bit broad because it's like you get some women that feel absolutely fine when they get their periods and then some that feel worse before, whereas some feel worse when they get it. So it's more kind of like listening to how you feel and not taking a blanket statement out. So I, I don't like to tell clients what to do. I kind of like to base it off how they feel, you know, and, and really listen to how they're feeling because there's no point giving someone or telling someone, oh, don't go to the gym, do this instead, but they're actually feeling totally fine. Mm-hmm. And then you're kind of just putting it in their head that they're supposed to feel shit around that time. 100%. And you may, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's one of my favorite things that I've ever seen is, is someone that said, I can't remember who it was. I think he, oh, it might have been Luke Tullock, actually. He's an Australian strength coach, I believe. But he said, just because I don't want to take credit for this this word, but he said, don't nocebo your clients or yourself, which basically means don't tell yourself or someone else that they're going to feel a certain way because then they most likely will. So if you're saying, you know, okay, you're three days before your period, you're going to feel shit. You're going to feel this. You're going to feel this, blah, blah, blah. Just take it as it comes. And I'm not sure how you manage that, but from what you said earlier, I'm guessing you probably just kind of go off by how people feel. A hundred percent. And I mean, the first thing I want to touch on is the nocebo thing. And it, it happens in every single form. It's just like, if you tell someone they're going to really struggle towards the back end of their diet, they really struggle towards the back end of their diet. If they tell someone they're going to go through a dip of motivation, it happens. So it's so important not to place those ideas in people's heads. So I try and approach it a very neutral way. Like first thing that I do, and when, you know, let's say I'm in the first month with a client, which it will naturally happen. And they're like, oh, I went through my menstrual cycle this week. And then I kind of ask, okay, what's that usually like for you and then find out how they usually feel on it and I also say it's a good thing because now we have an understanding of how you know because usually they're not so conscious of their health and fitness they might not be training as much so now we know how your body responds during this time we can prepare accordingly for the next month so I try to look at it as data and take it from how how they find it so what's also worth mentioning is that the severity of their symptoms just as a byproduct of them being healthier you know in a month's time actually reduce right again so you don't want to set this up and saying oh yeah just take it super easy because in two or three months i've had this with quite a few females actually they you know when i first started with them their cycle was pretty harsh on them during the, that time of the month but now they're like oh yeah i can do the lower intensity session right but if you get stuck in that mentality of like okay yeah the, you know i've got a right you know you call the week a write-off basically it's like yeah you know it's it's a lot of out of the year that you're going to be writing off. And that's why, you know, you want to be focusing on month by month and how it feels because not each cycle is created equally. And another thing to add to that is if they've had a higher stress time, if there's not sleeping as well, then severity of that's going to be, you know, I've heard people say my cycle came with a vengeance this month, right? Which you do see. So like I said, you can't put a blanket statement on it. So for me, it's about seeing how they respond to it initially. And then again, putting some parameters in place like, okay, if you know when it's going to come, let's carry over one of your sessions from next week and place it on this week. So if we're doing three weight training sessions, you know, something's going to, you know, your cycle's going to begin on Monday. Let's try and get four in before you get into that week so you only have to do two you can push them towards the back end of the week if you you know if you want to focus on some yoga and walking or again like you said you can do those lower intensity sessions but at least you don't have so much work to do and then it's a case of just playing it by ear but like i said i didn't want to say this because it might sound insensitive as a male but i think uh, hopefully you can back me up here is that you don't people will 
almost have that idea, like with the dieting side of things, they start to feel sorry for themselves or they start to make it more than it is to give themselves a bit of an excuse. But the reality is it's not going to be the same every month. We don't want people to get into that mindset because of we want to still get your results, but we still want to be compassionate to the time of the month as well, right? This is exactly what I say in the workshop and everything you've said in that, I need to try and remember it all, but <laughs> there was a, a good few things in there that I actually have the exact same position on, which is really awesome. So, you know, first of all, with obviously, like you said, I don't think that's insensitive at all. And coming from a female, like, I think you have to try and get over that sort of, oh, I'm going to feel shit and take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. If I did feel shit, okay, maybe I'll, you know, take an afternoon off and lie, like watch some TV and actually rest because I actually genuinely do. Whereas I used to be that person that would be like, okay, I'm definitely going to feel shit next week. I may not be. And I'd set myself up to, to feel sorry for myself because it was arriving. And not to mention that as well, but if you have to write off, you know, a week of every month, then there's something deep going on. Whereas, you know, and that's not the women's fault. That's, that's like I said, the lack of education that women think that they're meant to be like, oh, it's just period, like, it's just mm-hmm. PMS, when it's not meant to be like that. But we're growing up taught that we're meant to have, you know, oh, you're going to have this, you're going to have period pain, you might get this. And it's like, well, no, that's common, but it's not normal to have all those symptoms. Yeah. And I, I think another big thing for me with, with the women's health side of things is that I used to be that person with loads of PMS, whereas now I sometimes I don't even, you know, if I didn't track it, I wouldn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, a couple months ago, I was, I did like a really, I had a really good leg workout. Next day I got my, my period and I was just like, wow, like, you know, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I was that person to be like, oh, I'm getting my period in, th- in three days, I might just take it easy when I didn't need to. There's also that side of things as well. And that's exactly what you said is just taking it as it comes, but not to mention as well that, you know, the other thing that you said about, you know, clients, PMS and cycles getting better over time. Yeah. People forget that your cycle is is a big process that so many things can, can stress it out. You know, low body fat, under-eating, over-exercising, stress. All these things can affect your cycle. And people forget that all-round health is important for the menstrual cycle. That doesn't just mean, you know, eating well. It's also... You know, and there's such a big stigma at the moment now with the whole health at every size kind of thing. But if you're if you're too underweight or if you're too overweight, your menstrual cycle possibly most likely will be affected. Uh-huh. And it, you, your menstrual cycle needs whole whole body health in every way. You know, correct. You know, thyroid, insulin levels, um, good diet, avoiding too much alcohol, smoking maintaining a healthy weight, exercise, like all these things contribute to a good cycle. One of the best things I've ever heard about the menstrual cycle from Lara Bryden, who is an incredible women's health sort of naturopathic doctor. She says, you know, in the way that she describes it is incredible. She says, your period is like a monthly report card. So if, mm. if you get your period and you've had an absolute horrible time, why? We need to look into why you're having such a horrible time because it doesn't need to be like that. If you're having a good time with it, minimal PMS, you're feeling fine. If you're a little bit tired, then that's obviously quite normal to be not as feeling as good as around mid-cycle. But to be written off isn't. So if you yeah. look at it like that, you can sort of judge your health and be like, okay, do I need to change something to, to be healthier? 
if that makes sense as well. Yeah, monthly report card. I like that a lot. That's good. Mm. And now I want a mail monthly report card. It's actually sounding more <laughs> beneficial to have your menstrual cycle. You guys cycle don't now. get that benefit. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, so that's a good point. And actually, I want to dig deeper. There's two things I want to say. And I kind of want to just refer to my Audible library because I remember there was a book <laughs> and there was something referenced in it. I just want to make sure that I find the book. And they yeah. basically did a study or they actually just took people from like a a distant country like a tribe like they basically went into a tribe and they spoke to the females in there and then obviously they were having their menstrual cycles and they tried to explain the concept of pms and just like the symptoms mm-hmm. that they would have and there was no understanding of it in their minds whatsoever they didn't actually know and i just want to know what this book was called because it, it, it might sound like That's i'm making really things up. yeah and it was like almost like because society talks about and like we said the people know SIBO into it and it becomes something that you know people start to expect they do think that oh i'm supposed to have these symptoms and everything along these mm-hmm. lines but in fact those people you know it's not to say that they don't exist but when you know, it's probably a good sign to say that if you are in a tribe, you know, your stress is probably a lot lower. You're probably getting time outdoors a lot. You're probably getting, you know, a good amount of sleep, sleeping, you know, with the natural rhythm of the day and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Then the severity of it can reduce. And it's called Behave by Robert M. Sapolsky. It's a really, really yeah. hefty book. It's like... Interesting. It's 26 hours long on Audible, so that's that gives you some context on how long it is. But yeah, so basically, you take a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, he just explores that. So I thought that was an interesting note to make. And just before we move that's on so from that, I want to ask if someone says, "Okay, I'm I'm sleeping well, I'm eating well, I'm training well, but I am getting into a position where I'm kind of in a debilitating position when I'm having my cycle. Where do how do they dig deeper? What are they looking into exactly? Yeah, so this is a good one, and I think. One thing I love about this is the fact that it's almost like, I don't know how to say this without kind of being a bit blunt, but you know. Be blunt, we like it here. <laughs> I know, it's almost like you don't want to. Okay, so if you're eating well, sleeping well, exercising and stuff, like how good is it? Because it's kind of like if your period, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, but if your period's really bad, then there is something internal going on, mm-hmm. whether that is a hormonal imbalance whether that is possible you know is is your cycle regular is it is it just painful do we need to look into maybe why that's that's occurring you know and that's why endometriosis goes undiagnosed so much because people kind of just brush off the period pain as part of their period so it's like okay we want to rule things out you know maybe i think blood work is a great place to start Mm -hmm. but then there's so many kind of symptoms and things that you know for example something as simple as dairy can can cause a little bit of period pain. So things like that, maybe if you're eating well, exercising, getting good sleep and you've got those sort of foundations in place, we can maybe dig a little bit further. So are we consuming maybe a lot of dairy? Can we try and re- like cut that out for a couple months and just see if it helps? Interesting. If it doesn't, no worries, maybe just introduce it back in. But it's always worth a shot to see if, if something like that can it's the A1 casein in dairy that can cause havoc with some some people's periods. I find magnesium is great for PMS, period pain, stuff like that. And the biggest thing with magnesium is, I think everyone knows I bang on about it all the time, but the thing with magnesium is it's not only hard to get enough from food, if you even if you eat all the foods it's in, you know, nuts and seeds, bananas, you know, in a banana, there's probably about 27 milligrams of magnesium, which, which you know, if you need about 300 milligrams, it's, it's really not that much. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like even if you're eating all those foods, you possibly may need more. And the thing with magnesium is the fact that when your body is stressed, whether it's men, you know, psychological or physical, like 
things like that. And we live in the modern world and everyone will experience some form of stress. Yeah. Your body actually dumps magnesium. So I think that, you know, trying to stay on top of your magnesium stores with just food is, is going to be difficult. And I think I always suggest magnesium to clients if they experience this because it's worth a shot to try. And, you know, you can't even test levels of magnesium because it lives deep inside your cells. So it's always worth a shot to take some magnesium. And I just think it has so many benefits that it's really not going to do any harm. Um, You know, it's an essential nutrient. So that's always a good thing I suggest to someone if they've got, you know, oh, everything's good, but I'm still experiencing this. And then, you know, depending on the severity or or what the symptoms are, if it's pain, for example, like really, really bad, I'd then possibly be like, okay, maybe we need to look further and dig into do we have any sort of signs of endometriosis, any other symptoms relating to that just to rule it out or, you know, things like that, I think. And we don't want to kind of like brush it off as normal because so many people think that it is normal. And they're just happy to take pound or, you know, ibuprofen every day for their period. And then sort of, you know, it kind of, they kind of just get used to that. Yeah. So I would say my first thing would be, you know, looking at the little things like maybe dairy or maybe taking some magnesium, see if that helps. And if it is really bad, then maybe we want to get some tests done, maybe blood tests just to check hormonal imbalances or going further and checking for any signs of, you know, adenomyosis or endometriosis, which is kind of like gross on the uterus and things like that. Yeah, that's super practical and super helpful as well. And if someone is going to get blood work, would you advise them to go private? Because I can imagine it's going to be quite problematic if they go to their GP when... (laughs) Yeah, so um, (laughs) in Australia, it's very different. So over here, I've been made aware that it's, it's, you know, I work with a really cool like health, naturopathic doctor guy who kind of mentors me as well and and I said to him that you know he's just working with me at the moment and I was like I can't get a blood test in the UK like it's literally impossible and he was like the UK is one of the hardest places ever to get a blood test on Mm -hmm. because they don't want to run it and you know the NHS is awesome but it's almost like because of the NHS you can't get it done so then you actually have to pay more to go private so if you are going to get a blood test in England, then I'm going to probably say you'd have to go private because I highly doubt the NHS are going to do everything you want and need. If you're anywhere else, you may be lucky. Like for me in Australia, I can go in the doctors and sometimes they'll bulk bill me. We don't have NHS over there. Yeah. Sometimes I'll bulk bill, which means they'll just put it through our health system called Medicare and they'll be like, yeah, we'll just bulk bill it. If they don't, it costs me maybe 35 quid for the blood test. It's not that much. No. And I used to think that was expensive. And then I came here and I was like, wow, 150 quid for a blood test. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why does it cost that much? So, and another thing I'm going to touch on quickly while we're on this topic is the fact that a normal normal blood test from the GP literally doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's very unhelpful. And there is so many people that have had normal blood tests and they're like, yeah, everything's normal. It's fine when it's not because the ranges are so big. It doesn't mean that if you're in that range, it's good for you. It, you know, it's it's just so frustrating and that's why so many people don't find the root cause. And, you know, 80% of people aren't actually metabolically healthy. They may be healthy as in, okay, you know, this person exercises, they eat fairly good, but they may not actually be internally healthy without realising it. Mm-hmm. And I think when you think of it like that, it's almost like, okay, we need to dig deeper because 
being normal means that you're just in that 80% of people that have a normal blood test doesn't mean that everything is actually optimal. hundred percent. No, I'm just saying, I'm so glad that you brought that up because if it's, it's very similar. I had some blood. So what I did in the past where I had some hormonal challenges as well is I went and did my own private test yep. first, then brought it to my GP. You? It was upwards of a hundred pounds. Like it was easily 140. And also what people got to bear in mind is that if you, you need to, if you're looking at specific things, you need a specific blood test. So they might run yeah. some bloods, but they're only looking at like your white and red blood cell count and just, you know, these general markers that they can get away with. And they might just put like one, you know, even if we take like testosterone as an example, right? We don't just look at total testosterone. We look at free testosterone. We look at SBGH. And the and all that. Exactly, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we might, on, on your standard GP, it might just say, oh, total testosterone is fine. And then you look into it deeper and you're like, oh, actually, there's a dysfunction between the HPA axis. And then, you know, you don't realize those things unless you actually go and get that specific test and, and then do it. And it's only going to be done if either the GP is taking you very seriously and they, you know, maybe refer you to an endocrinologist when they actually do look into those things, or you have to go on to somewhere like a big a website I recommend here is MediChecks. I've done a lot of work. With I them. did look on them for a blood test. Yeah. Mm. And I was like, I did look on them, but I had blood results from when I was at home. So I've used them for now because it's just, you know, and then obviously with COVID as well, it's like, you can't even see a doctor. No. You know, if I ring up and be like, Hey, I just want to get my bloods done. Like just have a look. They're going to be like, go away like you you don't need to come in we're not even seeing people who are actually ill yeah so it's a bit of a i mean i don't know what your my stance on this is just from personal experience and what i've looked into is we need so many people are like they think all the holistic side is a is a bunch of you know crap and it's kind of like well you don't need to be one or the other you can be both and i think we need both because the holistic side focuses on root causes and preventative measures and natural supplements. Whereas the conventional side is, you know, they don't pick something up until it's freaking too, too late. hundred percent. And then you deep into this illness or you deep into, you know, unhealthiness, whatever the word is mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you then, you're then trying to treat it then when you could have prevented it you know, a couple of years ago. So I think we need both. And it's not to say that conventional medicine isn't needed because obviously we all know that we do need that. Yeah. But I just think that prescriptions are handed out like there's no tomorrow when there's other things that can be done to manage a lot of things. And for me, I always go to a holistic kind of someone I trust. I look into them, I look into their work and I find someone that I trust. And I find that Australia is actually really good for that side of medical professionals that want to find your root causes. And half the stuff that he told me about my blood test was stuff that I've never been told by the doctors. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all, all my results were in normal ranges. And he was like, this is a bit on the high end that I'd like to see. We, you know, we may need to do this. And it's just a whole different level of of actually digging deeper and finding optimal health rather than just being like, yeah, you're fine. You know, there's nothing we need to do right now. Come back in 10 years and then you've got all these medications you need to take. So I don't want to dive into too much of the challenges of the healthcare system in the UK because it does do a lot of good, especially if you've got like, you know, 100%. genuinely like emergency services or you know the way they're handling covid and everything along those lines but exactly yeah in my experience when i have gone to private doctors i felt uh and when i've gone to doctors in other countries as well i felt a much higher sense of them wanting to dig deeper and really understand mm-hmm. as okay, opposed yeah. to 
you know, just again, because of this is the thing, and this is no offense to anyone who's in this, this space. It's just like you have these markers and you're told mm-hmm. to work within those. And that's totally fine. But where someone sits within that range and it's called normal does not mean they feel like people shouldn't even be feeling normal. They should be feeling better than normal. Right. So, yeah. you know, if you fit within that range, they probably can't turn around and say, OK, we need to look into this deeper because they've got a range. But like I said, it's so broad and it does mm-hmm. not equal you being healthy as well. So if you do go to your GP and you get something back and it's normal and you still don't feel right, that's your invitation yeah. to continue digging deeper. But again, it's on the individual as well, because of, like you said, if you take a more holistic approach, which is probably the best approach, it's longer. It's not quick fix, right? Like, you know, for instance, if we take- And it's expensive, which I think is a, a big thing. I think, you know, especially in the UK where the NHS is free, I think people are more hesitant to pay for private sort of health, which is understandable. I get it. I think just because, like for me, when I came here, I was like, wow, I could, like I, <laughs> quick, really, really super quick off tangent. I had to be taken away in an ambulance in London when I was on holiday because I had an allergic reaction and I'm anaphylactic. Oh, wow. I, I was like, oh my God. I was like, this is going to cost me like 500 pounds. I was, I was traveling. I was 18. I literally was like on a really tight budget. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to cost me so much money. I li- that was all I was worried about. I didn't care about me. I was like, shit, this is going to cost a lot of money. Mm. And, I, and, and I walked out of the hospital and I was like, they haven't charged me anything. I was like, wait, do I have, do I pay for this? Is it free? And that's when I was like, oh, the NHS is like all free healthcare. Like that's insane. Yeah. Um. So I think it is definitely like obviously not bad, and the people that work in it are obviously incredible. But mm-hmm. I just think like when you're talking about like we said with bloods and stuff, if you don't feel right, don't take normal for an answer. Further dig deeper because it's your health and like how you feel that's that's at stake here. Yeah, and it's worth the investment, even if you yeah. know, even if it does seem quite expensive. So that was uh, longer than I expected, but I'm glad that we went there. Sorry. So no, not at all. I, I didn't want to stop it because I think it's going to be valuable and people are going to take a lot from it. So let's transition into nutrition. So pretty much the same question in terms of us mm-hmm. approaching our nutrition. Let's say we've got some fat loss goals because that's going to be quite prevalent for most people. Yeah. How do they approach it? Do they stay on the diet that they're on? Do they, you know, alter things? Does it come down mm-hmm. to, again, the severity and difference within the cycle and the symptoms? Go for it. Yeah. So I think most of the cycle until we get to kind of the back end of it before the period is going to be fine. You know, people are going to be not to mention just the effects that the hormones in the cycle have on us, like feeling motivated, energetic, happy, in a good mood, but sort of adherence is going to be really good around this time. Mm-hmm. And I can speak from personal experience that, you know, around most of it, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel like my calories, if I'm in a fat loss phase, are quite a lot. And then I had, you know, so we don't really need to, I don't feel like we need to kind of adjust on that. I think people are going to feel fine there. And from what I've seen, most people do can easily stick to things. They're not overly hungry. They're just kind of, you know, normal appetite. Yeah. Then we head yeah. into the sort of luteal phase where progesterone, if we're if we're ovulating, because that's the only way we can actually produce progesterone, if that's high, or if it's obviously, you know, around day 21 at peaks, the effect that progesterone has on the body is that one, it may stimulate appetite. Two, it also increases your basal body temperature, which mm-hmm. then in effect increases your metabolism just slightly yeah, yeah. and that's not an excuse to be like oh yeah my metabolism is faster i can eat whatever <laughs> i want it's more of just a very slight increase by maybe a couple hundred calories uh-huh. so around this time is when people are going to feel hungrier and possibly have a few cravings so i would say a week before the period they're going to start noticing that the calories they're having is maybe actually harder than it was two weeks ago because they're feeling hungrier and they may not be as satisfied after a meal 
So around here, there's a few few things you can do. So I think what I try and avoid with clients is them trying to stick. If, obviously, if we're in a fat loss phase, but our calories are going to be lower than maintenance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if we're... If someone's trying to stick to low calories, but they're really hungry, they're eventually probably going to cave. And that's what we want to avoid. And that's where the problem comes in, I think. So people try and hold it off or they just, you know, restrict and then end up sort of caving later on and overeating or binging or whatever it is. So when we get to this stage, there's a few things you can do. You can up your calories by one to 300 calories a day. Just add a few extra on if you feel like you need it. I try and like listen to my body and be like, okay, am I actually hungry? And I actually tend to notice it and I'm like, oh, I feel really hungry lately. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm Dave, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So for me, if I need it, I will add a few hundred extra calories on. The other thing you can do is go up to maintenance. Some people like to go up to maintenance calories for a week of their cycle or like five days. I guess this all depends on person, how they feel. If they need, like, if they're on a time frame, maybe we can't do that if they're on a strict, you know, photo shoot time frame. I don't know. Yeah. Or you can simply have like a refeed or a diet break and plan it in around that sort of few days or a week before your period as well. So this also comes down to, like you said before, it's going to be the same thing based on how you feel. You may not need to go up to maintenance. You may just need a couple hundred extra calories to satisfy. Yeah. That's, that's cool. But if you do really struggle and you do need to go to maintenance, then that's also fine. So I think the main takeaway for this is is to help women understand that it's okay to eat more if you need it. Yeah. I think obviously if we're in a fat loss phase, we want, we want that consistency aspect. So by increasing calories by a couple hundred, we're still having that adherence and that kind of consistency instead of just like dropping everything altogether, throwing it out the window until next week. Mm-hmm. So that would be my first few approaches and I usually would base that off of how the individual feels and how hungry they are and how long they're hungry for as well. I think the problem is actually before the period, not when the period arrives because that's when progesterone is the highest. Gotcha. So I think that's where we want to look at. And yeah, I think, like I said, the biggest thing is that it's okay to eat more if you need it. I think some people are scared to, which then they overeat later on. Yeah. I think the the main challenge of being scared is obviously naturally the weight fluctuates upwards. It would do even if we increase calories. So it might be yeah. worth touching on that. And I think, yeah, the main reason I know that I would have reluctance from some of my female clients is they would be like, my weight's already going up. I don't want to add to that by, you know, pushing up my calories further. It's only going to take so much longer to get my average weight back down again. Yeah. So I think scale weight is huge. And this is something I go over on the workshop as well is that it's, it's, it's normal to have them. And I think because women are so, I say women, I, I think I, I'm generalizing here, but I do think women have more of an attachment to the scale. And, you know, they're so scared of the number going up when if you didn't weigh yourself, you'd, you'd look the same. You wouldn't notice any difference. Okay. You may feel a bit bloated, mm. but you know that it's bloating. Whereas if you're looking at the scale and you see it go up, you could, if you didn't weigh yourself, you probably wouldn't have felt any different. And I think it's kind of like, okay, we need to weigh ourselves, obviously for progress matters. If we do weigh ourselves, we want to really drive into our like minds that it's normal to see an increase. Mm-hmm. I personally expect it because if someone's not expecting it and they don't understand that their scale weight will increase with their cycle, like as their cycle goes long towards the period, they may have a shock and they may be like, oh my God, my scale weight's gone up a kilo or two when that's actually quite normal. And as you go through your period the following week, 
it will drop straight back down to where you were before. So like you said, I think some women are probably apprehensive to increase calories because of that. But you also have to remember that your your body is actually using more as well. So you may not have to increase the maintenance, maybe just 200 extra calories just to give you a little bit more food to keep you satisfied. And, and I always say as well, I'd rather myself and my clients adhere to more calories than try and put it off and then you know, go AWOL for a couple of days and then afterwards feel even worse. So I think that's a big one as well. No, that's huge. Just thinking from my client's perspective and what they'd say, because we're going to touch on this in the last question, but there's mm-hmm. such a focus to get onto the goal, especially if there's a time frame as well. So let me start with this question. It's like, would there be a rationale if a female would hear this right now? And they'd be like, well, you know, that's an extra 200 calories expended. I'm going to bank that as more fat loss across the next couple of days. And I'm going to try and be as diligent as possible based on the fact that, you know, if I'm expending more without really doing anything, just this, you know, internal bodily function that has to happen, I'm going to make the most of this. Would you encourage that? Would you, if someone's actually able to stay on track, would you say so? Or do you find that people just tend to trip themselves up after because of that increased expenditure and then they end up getting hungrier? Yeah. So for me, I know that most of the time I need it. I know that I'm burning more, but I'm also like, I'm really freaking hungry. So I I would, you know, I, I kind of need to eat those extra, especially if I'm on lower calories. But I would say that you don't have to do it for the whole week. You could even just do it for two days if you need it. Mm. So you you could also kind of do a bit of both and sort of be like, okay, well, I'm fine. Like I'm a little bit hungrier, but I'm also able to satisfy that with, you know, just kind of, I guess, just accepting that feeling and maybe having some really trying to focus on the volume food side of things. Yeah. But then I also, so I think for those kind of days, you may be okay. It would be more of a, if I, if I've like, can I, can I just suck it up? Yeah. I'm actually not that bad. I'm a little bit hungry, but I'm not too bad. I think on those days it would be perfectly fine. Yeah. But on those days where, you know, I know some people really get just hungry all day and there's just no satisfying. I think it can really help to add those extra calories so that you don't, you know, get to the evening and possibly just go, oh, stuff it and just end up eating loads and loads. So I think it doesn't have to be a set time. You know, we, we do burn more a little bit more it's not like i said it's not a dramatic amount but we do use more energy sort of in that luteal phase so for roughly around i'd say about 10 ish 10 days 10 16 days depending on your luteal phase doesn't mean you need to increase calories for the whole 10 days it could yeah. just be three of those days before your cycle so you could get the best of both worlds really and i think most people wouldn't need to do it for the whole phase it would more just be the couple of days when it's actually really really sort of increasing so yeah so i would say a little bit of both really but okay. i would say the biggest thing is to listen to your body and if you are really starving it usually doesn't end well if you try and restrict no. from what I've found anyway. <laughs> no, you're right. And I think, um, again, I think it comes back to the monthly report card and the self-awareness you have around yourself. And if you're finding every single month, this is happening every time. And then it does, you know, equate to a binge eventually. That's mm. probably going to be a lot more beneficial for you to bump them up. I've actually done this, not with many, but I remember a specific example. And we literally, she found that she was just eating chocolate every single time it got to it. I was like, okay, how about we just bump up the calories by 150 on these three days it was. And then she was totally fine with that. And we factored it in. There was less guilt associated with it, which I think was huge as well. She didn't feel like she was going off track. And it's it's almost like planning in a refeed or a diet break ahead of actually needing it. And if you know that you're going to fall into that place where you do will eventually need it, then I think it can be beneficial. And the last question I have for this just to make sure this is perfectly clear for everyone listening what type of foods do we want to be consuming and where do those extra calories going to be coming from 
So we oh, we want to be making sure that protein is sufficient just to really try and nail down those satiety levels because yep. we know that protein is that macronutrient that will keep us satiated a little bit more than, you know, carbs will. But obviously, I think a lot of people, I had someone on the workshop the other day who said, around my period, I can't even look at chicken and mint. Like I just, Mm -hmm. it, it just puts me off and I just can't even look at it. And I just want chocolate. So I think, again, magnesium can really help with those chocolate cravings, which is something I always suggest. And personally, I don't know if it's placebo, but I used to be that person that would literally drive to the shop just to get loads of chocolate because I, you know, actually make the effort to go. Even when I was just at home, you know, when most people are, like, I can't be asked to go on the shop, I'll just yeah. sum it up. I would actually make the effort to like actually go because I really needed it. Whereas I found ever since taking magnesium, I get the odd like, oh, really fancy some chocolate today, but it's not to the point where I need to actually go and eat a shit ton of it and, <laughs> you know, not sort of like throw everything out the window. So I would say that, if we are eating those extra calories, it's okay to have a little bit of something you feel like, you know, if, if you want it. And I'm a big promoter of eating really good food, obviously, that's going to be beneficial to us, but also not restricting yourself too much. And I think there needs to be a balance. I don't think, I think there's a little bit too, sometimes too much flexibility, if that makes sense. And yeah. I think, you know, if it's just those couple, if it's just those couple of days that you kind of really fancy a chocolate bar or something, put it in your calories and just try and focus on having, you know, really good foods with your main meals, like proteins, fats, carbs, good fats, like your avocado and your olive oil, eggs, stuff like that. And then, you know, save the little bit of extra. I guess if you're increasing your calories, like you said, with that client you had, you know, if you're increasing your calories and you're having good quality foods, you may actually crave it less as well. So I think it kind of goes in both ways. It's like if you're having extra calories, you can satisfy your craving. But then if you're having extra calories and you're putting that to good use, you can then possibly prevent the cravings as well. But also I think as well as that some people will just crave it. And I think that's also due to, to the kind of drop in like serotonin and dopamine that we see at the end as well. Very good point. Um, yeah. And I think it's chocolate that in increases your dopamine, is it? It would make sense if it did, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, I mean, I, I wouldn't, you obviously eat a lot of it all the time, like every single day, but I think if it's just a couple of days before that you fancy a chocolate bar and it fits in your extra calories and you're eating good meals, then there's nothing wrong with that. Agreed. I like that. And we've kind of touched on the, the mindset side thing. So we're transitioning to that last. And yeah. you mentioned that you did have a personal story around this. So I'm looking forward to diving into this. So you will have people who forego their menstrual cycle. They don't see the importance of it because they are so hyper-focused on achieving the goal that they had. I have had yeah. people who have said this to me in the past as well. They're like, I'm, I'm not too fast right now. You know, I know at some point I'm going to finish this fat loss phase and we'll, I'm okay for it to return when we go back to maintenance or whatever. So mm -hmm. That for me is a mindset thing, whether it's good or bad, really, it depends on the goal and the person, obviously, and it's not for me to place yeah. that onto them. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on your journey personally in terms of like where your goal was more important than your menstrual cycle and what advice mm -hmm. you would give to other ladies who are in that mindset at the moment. And maybe coaches who haven't, who don't really know what to do. I'll be honest, the first yeah. time it happened to me, I was just like, All right, I need to step back and really think about this first. Like, you know, where do I stand from an ethical perspective, you know, and yeah. then actually make a informed decision so it's not something that i think people would you know be able to just respond to immediately so how would a, a female approach it who has the goal and how would a coach potentially approach it if they have a client that comes to them yes yeah, so oh, 
Alrighty, let's start with. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, so I've got so much to say about this, but I'm going to try and make it like not too long. So, if we lose our cycle completely for six months or more, when everything else is ruled out, because like I said before, there is a lot of things that can affect your cycle. Like I said, thyroid issues, insulin issues. We that's where we see PCOS come in. Yep. We need to rule everything out before we can put it down to hypothalamic amenorrhea first. So once that's done you know, your blood's come out normal and there's nothing wrong with it. It is hypothalamic amenorrhea. What it is, is it's a loss of cycle for six months or more if everything else has been ruled out. And it's okay. it's basically the hypothalamus in your brain is what sends triggers to the pituitary gland in your brain to actually then send hormones down to regulate the cycle and actually ovulate and keep it going. So what happens is, you know, if your body senses stress and in hypothalamic amenorrhea, it usually is from it's mostly from sort of under eating over exercising low body fat levels where the body senses stress it can be from psychological as well Mm -hmm. what we want to do is rule out all stress and try and manage all of it but it's mostly down to kind of usually over exercising under eating and your hypothalamus actually stops that signal and just stops the communication loop because it's like okay your body's not in a good position to hold a baby and ovulate right now we're going to stop So that, you know, obviously someone doesn't fall pregnant because your body's smart like that. And as I said before, it's not just about pregnancies. Obviously, your cycle is important for so many other things. So that's what hypothalamic amenorrhea is. So your brain actually stops that signal to actually have a menstrual cycle altogether. Now, the biggest thing with this is I think it's actually more common than what people think. You know, like I said, like I said before, if people thought I was fit, they're like, oh, wow, you're so fit and like you know, healthy, blah, blah, blah. And, and I wasn't, I didn't have a cycle for two years, but because I had, I was, I'd lost weight, I had abs and, you know, I was exercising all the time. People thought I was fit and healthy, mm-hmm. but imagine how many, and people would say, you know, I, I had like a little fitness account on Instagram when I was doing that program and posting photos of my abs all the time. And people were like, oh my God, like you look so good, blah, blah, blah. I didn't have a period. Imagine how many people we're looking up to on Instagram with good bodies that maybe look amazing, but how do we know that they're actually healthy? We don't because they're not going to disclose that, are they? And most of the time, they're probably not as well. And I think that's the problem. I think, you know, and I know of a couple of people that are big names on Instagram with group programs. I'm obviously not going to name them, but, and they've, you know, said that they don't have a period because they've lost too much weight and they're unhealthy. Yet they continuously flaunt and promote their programs and what they achieve from that program, even though they don't have a period. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, you're promoting this to other women when you've clearly not got, you know, optimal health from it. Okay. You look great and you've lost weight, but obviously your body, your body's not liking where you're at. And I think that women are so driven for abs and stuff that we forget that we're actually meant to have a bit of fat. It's actually normal. You know, when you're on Instagram, you, I talk about this all the time, but you're looking at the top 1% in the world that have those figures because they get paid to have those figures. Yeah. Yet then you feel, because you're seeing so many people on Instagram, even though they're only like a very small percentage, then you're like, oh, I need to look like that. But when you actually step into the real world and you go outside, you realise that obviously most people don't walk around absolutely shredded. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, being overweight is healthy either. But, you know, there is that fine line and we we constantly look up to influencers and stuff showing off their bikini bodies and their fitness bodies and we don't actually know that they're healthy. They, they may not be internally. 
Um, and I think there's such a big correlation with fit, exercises all the time, lean and healthy when, when sometimes they're actually not, they don't correlate together. Mm-hmm. And it, it's probably the same with, you know, like competing, for example. Not sure what the, I haven't delved into what the effects are on men because I obviously focus a lot on women. So, you know, most women when they compete lose their cycles because the amount of training and the calories they're on and the body fat percentages that they have to get to are yep. not natural. And you obviously have to do unnatural things to get there. And most come out with no cycle. And then, you know, a lot come out with eating problems as well, disordered eating habits. And I personally just, I just can't get behind that because it goes completely against, I appreciate their hard work with with the gym and stuff. And I appreciate that they must be very, very driven. But how, how driven do you have to be to then cross that line into becoming disordered because I was driven but I wasn't healthy I was I was you know trying to get to insane levels of body fat but I was driven to other people and I just I know it's very controversial but I just can't get behind that I can't sort of clap that on because I know that that's not that goes against everything I'm about Mm. and like I said it's not to diminish their hard work but it's just not something that I can personally get behind and it's why I would never do it myself because I don't agree with what it what it's all about. And I don't like how you're judged on how you look when everything else could be absolutely fucked, <laughs> pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But, you know, I think people, I think the main thing as well with hypothalamic amenorrhea is, is people know that it's bad to lose your period, but they don't know why it is. So they kind of dismiss it a little bit and they're like oh you know it'll come back blah 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 yeah but i think people don't understand why they're so beneficial which i can obviously go into and why it's bad to lose it that they kind of because they don't think it's too bad they kind of just ignore it i think and then try and focus on it later on i totally agree Mm -hmm. And um, jumping back to a few of your points, first of all, yeah, I massively agree on everything that you said, especially regarding the Instagram non-reality that we have. I love social media and I love Instagram as well. I think they're fantastic, but it does create a perception that people, you know, you, you wouldn't usually see all these people, right? Like you said, they're either on the front of magazine covers or they're in the movies and they would, you would think, oh, okay, that's not really a real person. Like, you know, they're getting paid high amounts to do that. But the reality is, is the way that society has shifted, like those movies stars and magazine covers are now the people you see on Instagram, right? Like you said, we're seeing the 1% of the people who are getting paid a high amount and everyone has their price, even if it is their health, or you're seeing genetically gifted people. That's because they're getting attention because we, we like to see the people who are really highly in shape. Uh, so yeah, that's the first thing. So even if I scroll through my Instagram, you probably scroll for years. It's like, it's very so biased towards all these in shape people. Whereas actually if you yeah go walk down the street, depending on where you live, of course, it's like, it's not going to be that many people, right? Especially yeah. within your friend group. If you're not like, we have, again, a bit of a warped sense of this because we're health and fitness coaches. So most of our friends and our colleagues are health and fitness uh, professionals. But if you are just, you know, someone who has a regular job, has a family, look around your friend group. They're not, it's very rare that they're all going to be in shape, right? So I mean, that's the first thing to do, sit, look at. And the second aspect was with the comp- the competing side. So I don't know how many people know, but I actually competed twice. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Like four or five, mm. in 2016, I believe I did. So yeah, about five yeah. years ago. Never again. Um, so okay. yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I don't say never, but I wouldn't, it's probably not, yeah, like I said, my thoughts Off on that have changed a little bit now. So, yeah. 
both of those points when I got into competition shape. I'd say the first time round, it wasn't so bad. What I did okay. is I held on and I competed that same year. So I got really lean for April, my first show. Then I stayed as lean as possible until September. And I, I yeah, exactly. It wasn't pleasant and I was not healthy at all. Like I was, I looked amazing. I looked fantastic, but I was not healthy whatsoever. So everyone would say, oh, you look great. I would get so much tension on Instagram because I'd post these videos and I'd be so lean. I yeah. wasn't healthy. So, you know, it has a similar impact on males in from a, a different point of view, but still from an chronological point of view as well, because of you'll find, especially with men I work with, if they are getting shredded and they're staying lean for too long or spending time with low calories, libido takes a hit, testosterone takes a hit, just general yeah. morale. And like you said, a lot of people come out of that with, you know, you know, if libido's down, testosterone's down, that's gonna lead to someone being a little bit more depressed, you know, having mental health challenges yeah. as well on top of eating disorders, which are naturally potentially going to come as well. So I think that's just as prevalent within males who compete as females okay. It's probably just that females it's, it's potentially spoken about a little bit more. I don't see that many men speaking about eating disorders, but I guarantee there's a lot out there who do. So yeah. where I'm going with this point is that, yeah, I, I essentially agree with you from that perspective, but I am going to give you a slightly different approach on this one because of, I have clients who have said this before and mm -hmm. again, like I said, I've had to take a step back and think about this. And if they are so intent on reaching their goal, I have to ask myself, would I prefer them to be in my hands or someone else's? You know, and I always, yeah. and the same with you, I reckon if someone said to you, like, I'm going to follow through on this, you can either coach, like if I wouldn't say, you know, you know, go find another coach because of, I know that I will have that level of care for yeah. the journey afterwards to get them back into a good place. Whereas yeah. them being left to their own devices or going to a mm -hmm. coach who only cares about the before and after photo would be, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, again, there won't be that hopefully as a small percentage of people out there, or maybe they're just not even that well informed. Um, I would rather than be under my care. If they were hell bent on going for that, that goal, I would continue working with them. But I would say, okay, we need to make this a priority as soon as we hit that goal, or we need to think about minimizing, you know, the time frame so that we're not spending this amount of time in in this state essentially. So that's where yeah. I would I do stand on it because you know initially I was thinking, okay, does this ethically okay with me? It's quite hard as a male as well because I you know I don't have a menstrual cycle, and especially mm -hmm. when I've had an example of someone saying, you know, I don't want to have kids anymore, so I'm okay with it. And I was like, you know, they, they kind of made that justification, but I'm sure you'll go into reasons why it's more important than just having children. But yeah, for me, I had to come back to, okay, are they better in my hands or someone else's? And how, have I presented all the evidence to them for why they should potentially, you know, rethink this goal? Yes. And if they've come to their own decision, then I have to take that for what it is and, and then, you know, guide them in the best of my ability. So that's where I kind of stand on that one. So a little bit different to you, but kind of along the same lines. I quite like that because it's something that I haven't really thought about. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You know, do, would I rather have someone under my wing or, or under someone else's who possibly doesn't give a shit about it? Yeah. So that's actually really interesting because for me, I've never competed. So I obviously don't have that kind of side that you, that experience that you've got the first hand. Mm. But then I'm also, yeah, so it's kind of really interesting because I, because I haven't done it, I wouldn't, obviously it's not my thing because I haven't done it. I'm not in the position to coach someone that wants to compete or Makes even sense. if it's not competing, but getting to that really lean goal. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't even know how it's done with that. I think what I would probably do, like you said, which I really liked is provide everything, you know, okay, this is the consequences. This is why we have a cycle. If you're prepared to forego that, you know, then it, it has to be a priority when, when you come out of it, because 
I don't also know how I'd feel coaching someone who has like who's lost their cycle and having that on my I don't know how to describe it if you know what I mean so if I've got a client who's gone yeah I got to this but I lost my cycle is I don't know how I'd feel about having that on my kind of side of things but I don't know if that's just because that's my experience Mm. I've obviously had that and then I you know I know what it's like to get it back but some people don't get it back for five years which is a long time yeah and like you said you had a client who said oh I don't want kids anymore but it was something that's really interesting which I've which I will say is that your lifelong exposure to natural menstrual cycles when you're in your reproductive years has been linked to women having longer lives and also a reduced long-term risk of heart disease and dementia Mm. and you know when you think of it like that it's you know something else that Lara Bryden says again is I quote her so much because I love what she how she describes things is every ovulatory cycle where you ovulate because we can have cycles where we don't Mm -hmm. you know like the pill you have a period but you don't ovulate you know is like a deposit into a bank of long-term health and, you know, when when you think of it like that and it's like, okay, I don't want kids anymore, but the, the best thing, you know, the best way to have a good experience with menopause and perimenopause, which lasts, you know, all together around seven to ten years, mm. is, is to have natural cycles when you can. So I think people sometimes have a focus on, oh, it's just about kids, but long term it can actually it can actually probably affect you down the line. So I really, I like how you brought that up because I do agree with you in being like, you know, I'd rather care for someone and have that person there so I can help them out of it. But then I'm also like, you know, it's something that I really don't agree with to the point that it's like, would I, how would I feel about actually doing, doing that to someone? I don't know. I really don't know how I stand on that, but I like both sides. Like yeah. I like how you brought that up because, you know, some people don't care. Like some people don't care. And there's probably coaches who don't understand how bad it is, which is probably why they don't think it's that important. So it's really interesting. But I just think that when you compete, for example, there's no, for me, I think someone said to me that they didn't lose their cycle when they competed the second time. But obviously we are going to have some people with good genetics, like you said before. Yeah. And, and some people can be slim and lean without losing their cycle because we all have different genetics. Yeah, very true. You know what I mean? So for me, I didn't look anorexic, but I, I had abs and I, I didn't have a cycle. Whereas some people could maybe look like me and still have one. Yeah. I think everyone's different, you know, but when you compete, I do think that the majority, maybe not everyone, is getting into such an unnatural conditions that you are going to have to kind of put your health to the side I guess if that's your goal the reason I've stepped back from it is again I didn't like I know that now and you've got to think the first time round, you're not holding as much muscle you you have to get as lean as possible because it's the first time digging so you're more likely to run into problems there and then after Mm -hmm. the second time I did think about going again and then I was just like am I willing to come because you don't become that nice of a person when you get to the back end of your prep as well because of, you know you're just focused on survival and I was like is that really going to add to the quality of my life now and I was like mm-hmm. I never, I'm not going to be elite in this sport and yeah. it almost started again and like, I, I have huge respect for anyone who does bodybuilding or yeah. any type of seat competing but for me it was like I can't I'm no longer so excited about a sport where you have to kind of deplete yourself in order to get 
to the goal. You know, when you have game day in every, any other sport, you're fueling yeah. yourself up, you're pumped, you're energetic. Whereas bodybuilding is the opposite. You get there and you feel terrible on the day. Whereas in every other yeah. sport, it's just like you're actually fueling yourself that performance. So for me, that was like, eh, I don't really like the I idea like of, yeah, depleting yourself for game day as opposed to pumping yourself up. So that was, that was the tipping point for me. And the point I wanted to come back to, what you mentioned as well, is when you say, I think the reason you're obviously having challenges with my, my way is that you are so passionate and this is your, you know, that's your philosophy of your coaching service, right? But when you say, I don't know how I would feel about doing it to them, I don't think you're doing it to them. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's kind of like they've made the decision that they, they're going to accept that consequence. So that is true, actually. Yeah. And it's like, you've done what you can to lay it out to them that this is possibly what's going to happen. This is the benefits of why we have it. This is the consequences of not having it. You know, if you're happy to go ahead, then it's, I guess it is on them. And I think if I was to do that, I would probably get some like, as stupid as it sounds, some legal documentation to be like, <laughs> I know that this is probably going to happen. And I have understood that this is a consequence. So it's not kind of on my conscience, if that makes sense. No, that makes um, sense. But I, I like how you brought that up because it's really interesting because I've never actually thought of that. I'd always been kind of like, I'm not interested in competing. I'm not interested in that side of things. But I've actually got a question for you. I know it's your podcast, but... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I would actually like to hear your opinion on, you know, do you think that that people kind of compete because they think that it's going to rank them higher as a coach? I think that there's rationale to suggest that massively. When I did it first, uh, the reason why I, yeah, again, pushed myself to those extremes because I thought I would get more reputability and respect as a coach. That's 100% the reason why I started to train harder. I think it, it was something a passion of mine, but I think I've even been in gyms before. I won't name any names, but I think the guy was saying to me, he's like, you need to get bigger. You need to be more lean. You need to be a presence on the gym floor. Otherwise, no one's going to take you seriously, especially as a one-to-one -one personal trainer. I think the, yeah. ga the game has changed so much now. It really, like, right. to be honest, you don't even need to train anymore to be an online coach that actually, you know, people care more about whether they can, you can get them the result and the transformations yeah. that you produce versus you. Whereas I feel like the industry maybe 10 years ago, it was very much focused on how you looked, right? So for me, it was like, okay, how can I take all these topless selfies on Instagram, you know, and I, I want to be as big as possible and competing yeah. as well. It gave me that extra edge because of, you know, then I could draw on my experience, which I, I think is valuable now um, mm -hmm. and to tell people, hey, you know, I did go to this deep, deep level so you can start to relate back to them. So it was helpful yeah. from that perspective. But I think people, yeah, probably do do it for the wrong reasons. And I feel like if I yeah. competed again, I would be doing it for a wrong reason. So that's why I kind of decided to call it a day on that. I feel like for me as well, like, you know, what you said about how people would judge you, how you looked. When I got my personal training qualification, the first thing that I thought was I need to get in shape. I need mm -hmm. to look like a personal trainer. And I think something that's not spoken about much is, I don't know, you know, I felt a massive pressure when I became a personal trainer to to look good all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't be lean all the time. Like, I can get someone in good shape and I know that. But for me, it's like, I've been to those extremes. I'm happy sitting at, you know, at the moment I am dieting because I do have a shoot in Dubai, nothing crazy, but it's just to kind of lean out a bit. And I sometimes, if I'm not doing it often, I like the little bit of a challenge to, you know, do that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like, I'm happy to sit at a, at a slightly higher body fat percentage and not be shredded, but have good training sessions and be able to have a little bit of freedom with, with things like food and stuff like that. 
that I've kind of gotten over and it took me a long time to get over the fact that Agreed. I was like, if I don't look good, people aren't going to come to me, you know? And, and I do understand, like, it's kind of like you wouldn't go to, you know, a dentist with bad teeth, like they say, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, well, you don't look after your teeth kind of thing. So it's like, I do understand, but I also think that the expectations are quite high. Like personal trainers have to be really shredded and like muscly and, you know, maybe someone doesn't want to be that, but they know how to get there, but maybe they don't want to look like that. Yeah. So I I don't know how, I think you said that you felt the same, like you had to get into that shape to be sort of get clients. But now it's kind of like, you know, I'm sort of like, I'd rather show off what my clients can do rather than me because I'm happy not being shredded 100% and I think unfortunately I think the way the industry has turned is is it's gone to that way like I don't post I mean there's like my Instagram TV covers are of me topless but if you actually scroll for a topless photo it will take you a while to find one now and it's all about me talking to the camera talking about what I do with my clients and how I care Mm -hmm. about them and my philosophies and their transformations the thing we talk about on the podcast is nothing to do with my physique anymore and whether I am 5% leaner right now or 5% heavy like in terms of body fat like larger no one really mm-hmm. cares right like as you know so at, at this point it's it's fortunate but i think there's probably more pressure on potentially females as well i think that's worth mentioning but mm-hmm. I, yeah i think we're in a fortunate place now where there is less pressure especially being online as well where you can yeah. hide a lot of it but again that that causes some challenges as well because i do think you know so a health and fitness coach should you know be, be in healthy, shape yeah. and being you know not necessarily like in show shape but they should be mm. working towards something being health conscious and everything along those lines but the last Great. thing i want to say on that is that I know personally when I'm a little bit heavier and I'm eating more food, I'm happier, I'm having better life and I'm delivering more for my clients, right? Whereas if I'm lean and I'm thinking about food all day, I'm definitely going to have a lot less patience with them. So actually they get a better service by me not being absolutely shredded, right? So yeah, yeah, I I totally get you. So that's the kind of thing I want to summarize on there. So I want to be respectful of your time because this has gone on a little bit longer than I expected, but I I don't (laughs) know. It's good. Um, And just a few things to finish off with. So just your quick thoughts on tracking your cycle and the best way to do that. Yeah. So there's a few different ways you can do it. Now there's sort of tracking your cycle generally, as in kind of just like knowing what day you're on average guess of, you know, when your mid cycle average guess of when your period is going to arrive, which is, which is great for, I'd say to start off with, because you can get an understanding of how long your cycle is lasting, which is an important sort of factor. And, you know, if your cycles are really long and irregular, then mm-hmm. we want to look into that. So I think looking at that is, is a good perspective to have on, okay, is it regular? Is it the same kind of time each month? Is it the same length? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then tracking your symptoms along with that so you can keep them logged. But also then you've got the side of, a really in-depth tracking called the fertility awareness method, which is where you actually take your temperature. Remember how I said progesterone increases your body temperature? You can actually take your temperature every morning um, and use other fertility signs to know once you've ovulated. And that's how you can, because ovulation is the main part of, of the menstrual cycle. So, you know, if someone for me has has menstrual irreg- like problems or irregularities, I'd want the first thing I'd want to know is are you ovulating? And if not, why not? So, you know, I think that's a really good factor as well is actually confirming that you that you are ovulating because that is an important a massively important factor. So, you've got tracking your cycle generally, but then you've also got a bit more in depth for people that want to really focus on okay, Am I ovulating? Is my cycle healthy? Am I producing enough hormones? Am I 
you know, getting a good balance, you know, and stuff like that. And you can actually do that on an app called Kindara. Kindara. Um, and that's available on the app store where you, where you log your temperature and you get like a graph and it shows your temperature over time. So when it's risen and it stays there, you know that you're in your luteal phase and you have ovulated because your body temperature is higher. If you don't have that increase, then you may know that you may not have ovulated and you can dig deeper into why. So I think tracking a cycle is a great thing to do. But one thing to note on is that if you are on the pill or any hormonal birth control, you don't ovulate. So you may, you know, I think when you're on the pill, you have every X amount of days you take the pill to make you bleed, but you won't see that temperature increase because you aren't ovulating. And if you're not ovulating on the pill, then, you know, for some people, they may not see any point in tracking their cycle because they know when they're going to have to take that pill anyway. So I think it's a great thing to do, though, to get to know your body. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the app again? It's called Kindara. Kindara. Okay, I'll make a note of that. And just quickly, if we could touch on contraception, mm. the pill, where do you stand on that in terms of the impact it has on your menstrual cycle, the long-term implications of that as well? Yeah, so... With the pill, it's, it's a very controversial topic. Now, the pill gave women a lot of rights and freedom in the 1960s when it was, like, brought out, and I think that's an awesome thing. But the problem now is you'll be surprised at how many people are on the pill not for contraceptive reasons, medical reasons. And with endometrius to the side, because I'm going to, talk, I'm going to say this before, the pill at the moment isn't the only option for endometriosis, but because there's such a lack of research, it can help manage the pain. So let's put that aside for and talk about the pill for, you know, an, an, a healthy individual without that. It, it can mask a lot of hormonal imbalances and symptoms. So, for example, someone goes to the doctor when they're a teenager, they're like, my periods are heavy. Here, take the pill. You know, oh, I've got period pain. Take the pill. I've got PCOS. Take the pill. The pill is, you know, when I had hypothalamic amenorrhea, Take the pill, it'll get your period back. And I think what I think a lot of people need to understand is how it works. So if you want to take it, that is absolutely fine. It's completely your choice. But I like everyone has has the right to choose. And that's absolutely fine. And that's why I'm not against it, because I think everyone deserves that choice. But I do think that I, I wish there was a little bit more awareness on it and, and how it works, because that feedback loop in your brain with your ovaries is how the menstrual cycle is controlled. Now, when you take the pill, you, you that gets switched off. Mm-hmm. So you get synthetic hormones instead. And they're not the same as our bioidentical progesterone and estrogen. They're synthetic forms yeah. and they're not the same. And actually, the progestin in birth control is structurally as a like a compound, mm-hmm. like you look at the structure of it is actually more similar to testosterone than it is progesterone. Interesting. So it, I just, I don't think it's, I don't want to say it's bad. I, I, I just think that it's it's prescribed way too much for things that can be fixed naturally and, and you're temporarily masking a problem because when you come off of it in, say, 10 years' time, because doctors often say, you know, I'll just take this and then when you want a baby, just come off it. And it's like, okay, you're still going to have those problems when you come off, if yeah. not worse. So the way that, because of my passion of how good the menstrual cycle is and how how beneficial it is to people and finding root causes of things, I, I stand kind of like I don't like that as a front approach for yeah. it. And I personally for anything, if someone wants to take it for contraception, I, I, I would hope that they would look into it and, you know, look at 
how it works, the side effects of everything, because obviously every medication has side effects, it's not just a pill. Of course. But I do think it affects a lot of women and it's it's prescribed way too much for things that it doesn't need to be prescribed for. Very, very good point. And that's interesting. I think also what you mentioned in terms of they will have to still deal with those challenges after the pill is gone, like again, a short-term solution, but it's also going to be their body needs to adapt from being on synthetic hormones back to their normal hormones. And if I'm correct in saying their natural progesterone would downregulate because of their relying on the synthetic, is that right in saying potentially? Well, yeah. So when you come off the pill, you may not ovulate straight away. You may or you yeah. may not. So technically you could be in a temporary state of PCOS or you could be in a temporary state of amenorrhea that can last up to a year, sometimes for some people more when you come off of it. So you could actually be... Like you said, if you're not ovulating, you're not having progesterone. So you could actually then downregulate that as well. That's super mm. interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, that's probably something we're going to have to do. We're going to do a round two, Sophie. I've just decided that we're going to do a round two in the future on the contraception. We're going to go to menopause as well, which I think will be really good too in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. But for, anyway, I just want to thank you so much for your time and all the work mm. that you're doing in the space as well. Like I said, it's it's amazing to see someone be such a pioneer for women's health and actually just not even just saying it, but actually taking action on it. So for any of the listeners who want to find you or do your workshops as well, can you let them know where the best place to find you is and when your next workshops are as well? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Sophie May Fitness. Um, you can, all the information for the workshops will be kind of in my, on my Instagram and in, in my bio. And I post about it quite a lot as well. Or you can, you know, simply message me as well just to find out some more. But yeah, like, thank you so much for having me on. I know it's been a while. It's gone for a while. But there's, <laughs> I think with women's health and there's so many things to dive into. So it does, it is that thing that sparks so much com- conversation and like off topic stuff. I'm glad. Um, but yeah, it was so good to have a chat about it all and it was really great to kind of have that sort of different different outlook that you gave me as well that I never kind of thought about too so yeah I really enjoyed it likewise no I've learned a lot and you've got a podcast coming soon as well right yes and you're going to be one of the first people on it so um, hopefully that one can be done in person but yeah definitely we'll be looking at doing that over the next couple weeks as well and that's obviously going to be another big focus on probably a bit of everything as well because I know some people you know women's health isn't their thing but definitely will be a big chunk of it too absolutely well amazing and i'm looking forward to it as well but yeah once again thank you again and thank you for everyone who's listened today if you enjoyed this which i hope that you did i'm sure that you did i really enjoyed it uh please screenshot this or the podcast on your phone tag us on instagram both at sophie may fitness and myself and yeah specifically the part that you took away from it and i'll put all the details that sophie mentioned into the show notes below so you can find her very easily but thank you again for listening take care guys and we'll speak soon And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.